From PWRDF, this is A Just Generation, where we delve into the world of social justice and social action, speaking to people around the world who are making a world of difference. Hello, everyone. My name is Charlotte Lilly. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm recording this from London, Ontario, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandaran peoples. Today, I'm speaking with Lorenzo Vargas, who works with WACC, the World Association for Christian Communication. WACC is an international NGO that works on sustainable development from a communication and information point of view, collaborating with community partners in more than 30 places around the world. Much of this work takes the form of ensuring that communication systems are democratic and accessible. This often involves supporting communication systems such as radio broadcasting, and supporting communities in setting up these systems. Lorenzo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Charlotte. It's uh, great to be with you. I am speaking to you from uh, Toronto. My, my pronouns are he, him, and uh, I'm on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So PWRDF is currently working with WACC on a project in Colombia. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about what this work looks like? Yeah, so this is a partnership that started in 2019, so right before the pandemic started. And uh, its purpose is to create a culture of environmental protection and stewardship among people living in a particular ecosystem of Colombia called the Paramos, that's the name in Spanish, I think in English, the name is the Andean Moorlands. So these are ecosystems that are high up in the Andes above, uh, I think it's above 3000 meters above sea level. Uh, and they're particularly important ecosystems because that's where a lot of water for the entire country comes from. And there's several environmental conflicts happening there because it's also, those territories tend to be strategically located for armed actors, for mining companies, for indigenous communities, for uh, ecotourism operators. So there's a, a, a number of, of actors in those ecosystems. And the objective of the project is to, through media and communication, uh, create a culture of, um, of environmental protection and as well to contribute to the management of some of these conflicts in those specific areas. Cool. Um, so you've mentioned this work helps um, with this environmental protection. Um, and over the past few years, especially, we've seen increased attention that's being given to issues of climate justice around the world, um, with all of these different areas having different needs or areas of focus. What does this context look like in Colombia, uh, and why is the need for climate justice especially great there? Well, as, as you know, with, I mean, the key concept of climate justice is that um, the people who have been the least responsible for, for emissions are the ones who are most affected. Uh, and as a country that's in the tropics, uh, Colombia is probably going to be suffering uh, disproportionately from the effects of climate change. And more specifically, the more the most vulnerable people there. Uh, I mean, that's the same case in other countries in along the equator and, and I guess in the tropics. Uh, marginalized people will be suffering in even more complex and multi-layered ways. And, and, and that creates a need to provide uh, communities living in those territories that are more, most at risk with the tools and knowledge 
to advocate for climate justice. And we're doing that through a medium that we don't really use as much in Canada. I mean, we use it, but it's sort of seen as an old medium, but that's radio. Uh, because these are communities that are quite remote, uh, that don't have access to reliable internet connections, and uh, where radio, and also because of the particular geographic um, place, of, I mean, there's just a lot of mountains because of the topography. You know, radio is what works best in the sense of getting signals across, you know, vast valleys and so on. Uh, so we're doing that by supporting a network of 10 um, community radio stations. And each community radio station has one or two local reporters that is reporting on what's going on in the gr- on the ground, that are interviewing local residents, that are going out to see if there's new uh, projects happening in that particular territory. So they're reporting from the ground, basically. That's awesome. Um, Another key piece of the conversation around climate justice is intersectionality or the idea that climate justice is really closely related to and interconnected with a lot of other different facets of social justice. Um, While the presence of this intersectionality is a universal piece of the work of climate justice, it's also something that varies greatly across different contexts. Um, How have you seen this intersectionality within your own work? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the key thing with intersectionality to me is that... uh, we need to be able to build coalitions uh, around the concept of climate justice. And in order to do that, we need to find a way to make sure that everybody, everybody's issues are included. So whether you're an indigenous person living in this land uh, or if you're, um, let's say, a cattle farmer or a young person or a, a vulnerable woman, um, there really has to be a space, and I think radio and media provides this, this platform for everybody's issues to be heard, for everybody's voices to be heard. Uh, and that's the way we can mm-hmm. build um, strong coalitions that will, will not only uh, engage people on the, on the ground in those particular uh, ecosystems, but also people living in cities. Uh, but absolutely intersectionality sort of was at the heart of the concept of, of climate justice as well. Uh, and it's for sure something that you see in, in in the context in which this project is unfolding, where you see people who are indigenous uh, or landless or uh, young people, right? Like they're they're facing different forms of of um, of vulnerability, and that's bound to be uh, exacerbated by climate change. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit already. Um, But in looking into WACC's work, one term that came up a lot was environmental journalism. Um, Can you talk just a little bit about what environmental journalism is and how it's put into practice? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in simple terms, it's it's simply journalism that is covering what's going on, you know, out there in the in the environment, in in, in nature. Right. But but our take on it uh, at, at WACC is to take uh, related to the concept of citizen journalism. So our goal is to empower everyday people who live uh, in those ecosystems and who are facing some of these issues to be able to report themselves about what's going on, to they themselves become the voice of their communities. Uh, so ultimately, I guess I would say like citizens, I would call it citizens environmental journalism. It's about enabling uh, communities who are affected by climate change 
to have a voice uh, and to, well, they already have a voice, but to, uh, to have a platform really to begin to put their ideas uh, forward and begin to be taken seriously as valid actors in the, in the struggle uh, against climate uh, injustice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that connects with that idea of people-led environmental protection, which is really prominent um, throughout WACC's work. Uh, why is that approach specifically so important and so impactful? I think that the approach to the, the approach of, of, of people-led or citizen-led um, environmental protection is related to the concept of local ownership. Uh, ultimately, you you cannot. I mean, envir- environment. I mean, the relationship between humans and the environment. Uh, and actually, indigenous peoples might argue that that distinction, that division, is not even there, but that we're all part of the whole anyway. But that relationship um, is quite complex, you know, and it's really tied also to people's livelihoods. So if you want to be able to make uh, an environment more sustainable or want to create change that's actually sustainable, you need to take into account people's needs, including their livelihoods. So if you have a people-led process to protect the environment and people are at the heart of this process, the idea is that they themselves will be able to express their concerns around their livelihoods. For example, you don't want uh, water rationing that will negative, negatively affect potato farmers or something. Uh, because then they, you know, then for them, climate justice becomes a secondary issue. Now the main thing is how do I put food on the table? So uh, you need this process to be led by people for you know, from the ground up, basically, for it to be sustainable and for it to reflect local uh, ownership, really. Now, another piece of the conversation around climate justice that's come up in the past uh, year and a half uh, is the impact of COVID-19 and the repercussions that that has had um, throughout climate justice work in a lot of different places. Uh, Has COVID impacted the work in Colombia? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it, it, of course, prevented any in-person meetings. I mean, as I said, so this is a, a network of 10 radio stations across you know, a relatively big country. Uh, and of course, there were no meetings happening for the first year and a half of the project. So it was really hard to build a sense of of, um, of the collective, you know, as a network that, you know, they're all in the same boat, they're all working for the same goal. That was really hard to do. Uh, but I think on the flip side, the pandemic sort of enabled people both living in, in those ecosystems, but also in cities to value uh, agriculture to value the work of, of peasants who were the ones who were producing the food. You know, when, when the pandemic started and there was this big freak out about where we're going to get, uh, you know, the world collapsing. Um, farmers and peasants were the ones who were ultimately providing us with food. And, um, you know, historically in, in, across Latin America, there's been people in cities tend to look down upon uh, people who are in the countryside. But I think this allowed for a reconfiguration of that that relationship, whereas people who are, who are in cities began to value and really appreciate the, that work. Um, and I think that is actually quite an important shift. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned that WACC's work in communities often takes the form of support with radio broadcasting. Uh, in the context of your work in Colombia, or more generally, uh, why is community radio such a powerful tool for social justice? Yeah, I mean, so the work of WACC really has been about um, 
democratizing the right to freedom of expression. You know, this is a fundamental human right, Article 19 in the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, but our take on it is that power in society um, really has an effect on the extent to which people can exercise that right. So if you're a wealthy person in a city, you have more platforms to express your voice, whereas if you're a poor person in, an urb, in a rural area, you have fewer platforms to express your voice, and therefore in the public sphere, the voices of those who have power already tend, tend to become louder, and the voices of those who have no platforms are sort of ignored. And that's why you end up with policies that ignore certain populations and so on. So in that context, uh, community radio, you know, that's, that's a, you know, a locally run media form, uh, platform really, uh, it's a fundamental tool to enabling people both to have their concerns heard beyond their community. To, so it's, it's, it's a way for them to say, well, there's private uh, media, there's uh, a public media, like in the case of Canada, we have the CBC. But then we also have a third sector in media, which is called citizens media or community media, which is run by citizens themselves. That's a, a fundamental democratic tool to, to enable people to have a voice. But it also plays the role of helping communities on the ground to get organized. Uh, so it's not so much about being heard by people outside, but also with you know being able to hear themselves, see themselves represented in media uh, at a local level. So for us, it's it's, it's an essential um, an essential tool for 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 uh, social justice. Yeah, going off of that, with the work in Colombia, what might some of that radio programming look like? Like, what kind of conversations and things are happening mm. uh, on these radio broadcasts? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I was I visited the project in 2020 at some point. Uh, and what's an example, for example? Like, when I was there, there was a conflict between uh, two groups of people. One group, well, well, let's, yeah, let's stick to that because it's easier. So one group is potato farmers. They were saying, well, we've been growing potatoes for ages and we need, uh, we just need to continue to do this, right? And then... And that's our livelihoods, basically. And then there was another group of farmers uh, and, and landowners who were saying, well, actually, the agriculture here up in this, in this particular ecosystem is actually not that good for potatoes, and it's actually bad for the ecosystem. So how about we focus on ecotourism? Because there's a lot of tourists who want to come here and climb the mountains and take pictures and play with the cows. And, you know, let's turn it into an ecosystem, an ecotourism paradise. Um, and then that we can generate money that way, right? So the content, the content that people were, were generating was around this conflict. So they were interviewing the potato farmers, the ecotourism operators, and then all the people in between. You know, so like the, the women, for example, who cook when tourists come to the, to, that, to the mountain, or the truck driver that drives down the potatoes to the main city, or the mayor, or the... Uh, the priest who has to deal with some of these conflicts or um, the, I mean, etc. So it, 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 they take a, a local issue uh, that is being, that is sort of at the heart of conflict in the community and they're talking about it, they're distilling it. They're talking to different actors and trying to at least create a space where different voices are heard uh, within, in the hope that this might lead to some sort of uh, uh, solution. Might also be like really interesting cultural stuff. So they might be children who are really they, they love their community so they might have uh, poems about their communities or they might be you know men who like singing and playing the guitars so they might sing songs about the ecosystem and so on so 
that element is also there. So it's a mix of the cultural element and also the more kind of the more complex uh, topics. Really cool. Yeah. So I guess my last question for you, uh, pretty open ended. Um, but is there anything else that you think it's important for people to know uh, about this work or about climate justice in general? Hmm. Well, I think that, I mean, this is a, like we're in the midst of a climate emergency. All the, the reports coming from the IPCC and all the other UN bodies are saying like, this is a crisis. And we saw this uh, in, in Canada this summer and in, in, in British Columbia with all the fires. Uh, and even in Northern Ontario, it's quite frightening. So I would just say, like, you might think that climate climate emergency is happening somewhere else in Colombia or in Asia or in Africa and so on. But we're all going to be affected in different ways. And we have to get our act together and pressure our politicians now. I mean, we're in the midst of a federal election So um, in Canada. So we really need to push for... Know, greater investment uh, to, to make the transition a reality and to to not leave anybody behind also not to leave fossil fuel workers behind um, to include indigenous communities include indigenous knowledge in this transition it's a great opportunity for Canada and for the world to move towards a more socially just and economically just world but we need a bold action so I would just say you know we all need to pressure people who are in power to to move in that direction Lorenzo, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing these insights into this important work. Uh, if anybody is interested in learning more about WACC or to make a donation, please visit pwrdf.org. And for more information about PWRDF's partnerships, you can check out episodes two or three of A Just Generation. Thanks so much, Charlotte. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me in, and uh, good day to everybody who's listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and post about it on social media. To catch all the latest from PWRDF, you can follow us on Twitter at PWRDF, Instagram at PWRDF underscore Just Generation. And don't forget to check out PWRDF.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.